Our scripture comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 1. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And as you're being seated this morning, uh, we come to a passage in the book of Philippians that uh, addresses the issue of citizenship. Paul makes that very well-known statement here that our citizenship is in heaven, he says. And so this morning I brought with me something to remind me of, of citizenship and perhaps you too that will be uh, a very helpful uh, reminder for you of what uh, Paul is talking about. It's my passport. Uh, this uh, passport, as you know, if you've traveled out of the country, this is the uh, most important uh, thing that uh, you will have on your possession. Why? I am an American. I love this country. And I, if I want to get back in it, I have to have this. So I uh, will present it when we come back into the United States. Uh, I'll present it there and uh, uh, at the immigration at that, that, uh, those desks, and I'll show them uh, I indeed am who I am and I belong in this country. Now, when I travel, I either make sure this is with me all the time, I make copies of it, I put those copies in multiple places just in case it were to get lost, so that at a moment's notice, I've got this information. Why? This, this guarantees my return into the country, and only this. This is how I get back, because I'm a citizen of the United States of America, Paul says here that you and I, if you belong to Christ, that you and I are citizens 
of heaven. And Paul is writing in the letter of the Philippians to Roman citizens. And Roman citizenship was a very prized thing. Just as this passport is uniquely prized in some countries where someone would love to get their hands on it and and falsify information and try to get back into this country, uh, to be a Roman citizen was a distinguished honor. And Paul addresses Roman citizens and says to them, citizenship in Rome, okay, but citizenship in heaven, that, he says, is what you have. You are citizens of another place. It was a Tuesday night at a revival service that I attended with my dad. I thought that I was a follower of Jesus when I walked into that uh, uh, church that night, Zion Hill Baptist Church, on a Tuesday night. But that night, the preacher got up, and when he did, began to preach. He, as he did, the Spirit did something to me I will never forget. The Holy Spirit arrested my soul that night and convicted me of my sin and convinced me of my lostness. And that night, I could not wait because I, in my mind, had to wait until the preacher was finished to pray. I could not wait until he had done, uh, have, have finished with his sermon, and I went forward. I don't remember what I prayed that night, but this one thing I know, that at that moment, I became a citizen of heaven. At that moment, I went from lost to found. I went from lost to saved. Uh, I went from hopeless to hopeful, from hell to heaven. And today, I stand before you because of the arresting power of the Holy Spirit that Tuesday night and say to you, I have a passport. And my passport is to heaven. And from this earth, I await a Savior. Like Paul, I look for a Savior who will return one day to make me his own in heaven. Amen? All of us who belong to Christ have a passport. C.S. Lewis says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If you cannot get satisfied here, C.S. Lewis says, this world is not your home. Some of you are incredibly intelligent and unhappy, others remarkably religious and unsatisfied. Others of you are strikingly beautiful, yet you feel unattractive. Some of you are financially wealthy, but unbelievably insecure. Some of you have cars, houses, boats, success, and yet you feel like something is missing. Some of you, your children love you and they love Jesus and yet you feel some days or most days like a failure. You work tirelessly, but you don't know why. 
Others of you are banking on November and your political party. If they win, you win. If they lose, you tank. Paul says, we are citizens of heaven. And if all of this life is lived in a foreign country called earth, in a foreign place called the world, how do we do it? Paul says in 4.1, stand firm. You do it by standing firm. Look at verse 1. I, I think though it comes at the end, it grabs all that Margaret read. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Notice how Paul feels about the Philippians. These words are strong, brothers. I love you. I long for you. You are my joy and crown, my beloved. And in the middle of all of those affirmative words are this is this imperative, stand firm. I just want to say to you this morning, I, I have really nothing new to say, but I have a major reminder for you this morning that if you belong to Jesus, this world is not your home. And if you're going to live on this planet, in this world, knowing that it is not your home, the way you're going to do it, according to Paul, is to stand firm. But the question is how? He gives three, three simple but important ways. Stand firm by pressing on. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul, this accomplished and studied apostle, Paul, this great missionary who's nearing the end of a rather illustrious career for the gospel, he says, I have not arrived. I am nowhere near perfect. Neither are you. Press on. Uh, to press on means to run quickly toward the goal. Paul is, is using an athletic metaphor. He's thinking of the races of the Olympics. He said, I press on to make it my own. To make it my own means to lay hold of as the prize of victory. Why is this runner so motivated by the prize? Notice what Paul says, and it is to me the most arresting statement in all of this section, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul says there is a prize in front of me, and that prize is knowing Christ, knowing him, he said, that is what I run toward to make that prize my own. But the reason I'm so motivated is because Jesus made me his own, meaning I am his prize. If you belong to Christ this morning, you are the prize of Christ. 
You are the medal around his neck when he sits at the right hand of the Father. You are the apple of his eye. You are the joy. You say, Jerry, how do you know? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, you ought to camp out there. If you struggle at all with inferiority or if you struggle with insecurity as a follower of Jesus, the writer says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such or so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Who is the joy set before Jesus? It's you. The writer of Hebrews says you were on his mind when he was on the cross. You were on the mind of Jesus. You are the reason he endured the, the mocking. You are the reason he endured the sword thrust into his side. You are the reason he endured the crown of thorns coming down over his head. When he was on the cross, you were on his mind. Amen? He was thinking of you. He had you in mind. He had you in focus. He wanted you. And Paul, in light of that, says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. I don't yet know Jesus like I want to. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's so many words in here. It's like a decadent dessert that you just uh, dip down into and you hit one layer and then another and then another. So let me take the dessert apart for a moment. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind. Well, what, what lay behind Paul? Some remarkable accomplishments that he listed, seven of them we talked about last week. Paul said, I take that off the list. That has now made my dung list. That once was on the credit, and I put it to the debit side of life. But there's one thing on the list that, that's surprising to me. It surprised me when I read it last week. It surprises me when I read it every single time. Paul, Paul says, I have this list of things that I did, this remarkable list of things. If anybody, if anybody can glory, it is me. A persecutor of the church. Why would Paul put that on his list? Well, if you were a Jew, you really esteemed Paul. Why? He rolled up into town with papers in his pocket to take out all these Christians, these people of the way who worshiped this Jesus cursed man who hung on a tree. The Jews considered that to be successful. Paul no longer did. What does this mean? 
This means when you look in the rearview mirror of your life, if you've known Jesus for any time, there are those things that you wish you could erase out of your life. But your lost friends still think they're pretty cool. They still think you get some credibility for those. Shame and success, when you run the race, will bite at your heels. Knowing Jesus dispels shame. Knowing Jesus overshadows success. Paul says, I forget what's behind, and I strain forward uh, to what lies ahead to stretch out. Like I'm, I'm trying to finish the race and cross the finish line. I'm forgetting those things, the shameful things I forget, the successful things that really were shameful I forget too. And that leads us into the second way to stand firm, by thinking straight. I press on toward the goal, skopos in Greek. Think scope on a gun. Think telescope looking to the stars. I look out beyond me to a prize. Well, where is it? Do you look out? No, Paul says, I look up. The upward made in heaven. We are citizens of heaven, call of God in Christ Jesus. Where every place that word call occurs in the New Testament, it refers to salvation. Paul said, when I was on the Damascus road, Jesus not only called me out, but he called me up. He not only called me out, but he called me up. But Paul says, my eyes are still on the heavens. Why? Because the Jesus who called me out is the Jesus who called me up is the Jesus who will one day return. He's coming back. This same Jesus is going to come back again. And so we, we live on earth with an upward, heavenly, heavenward focus. But that gets lost. Why does it get lost? Uh, one of the uh, commentators had this to say, great words. He's, he just talks about how in our culture today to think about the return of Christ just seems so odd to people. It seems weird to our other earthlings, doesn't it? Why? He says in a scientific age, it's embarrassing. I mean, if you're a scientist, how do you explain that one day you really believe that Jesus, who was God in human flesh, is going to split the eastern skies and come back for his church, the bride? How do scientific people believe such an absurd idea? Secondly, he says, in a world come of age, only the oppressed think about a better future. We've arrived we have what we need. We don't need Jesus. And third, he says, in a prosperous age, who needs it? He writes, the tragedy that attends the rather thoroughgoing loss of hope in contemporary Western culture is that, quote, we are now trying to make the present eternal. And that's how we live. 
You say, Jerry, are you sure? I mean, really, do we live like that? Plastic surgery in 2018 in the United States was a $16.5 billion industry. Cosmetic surgery, doing these things that I can do perhaps to extend, extend my temporality. If I can live a little longer, if I can look a lot younger, if I can do these things, Paul says, no, I have a heavenward look. I look up. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Well, what is maturity? Uh, That's a a hard word to define, isn't it? How do you know when you're mature? Uh, Here is a definition that I, I... I landed on this week. Maturity is not how much you know. It's how you live out how much you know. Uh, We we believe this with our kids, don't we? Your third grader goes off to school, and your third grader's a decent third grader. He's a third grader, but he's a good third grader. He's a decent third grader. And so you go for parent-teacher conference, and you talk to to, 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 to the teacher about your kid, and what does the teacher say about your third grade boy? Well, he does this and this and this. He's mature for his age. That's what maturity is. Now, we don't expect your third grader to buy houses and, and drive cars. Why? Because third graders don't do that. I must say to you that when I was 15 and, and the Spirit arrested me that night, I knew so little of what I know so much now. I better, right? And, and now the question is, do I do what I do with what I know? That's what makes me mature. With the knowledge I have, do I do what I do with it? This week, can't remember which day, but Don and Marie Grindstaff, Don sent me a text and he said, we've been called to Louisiana. And I said, wonderful. And they said, could we come by and all of you pray for us? Yes. So here roll up Don and Marie. They've got a motor home. There's a car attached to it. And they, they come and, and we gather to send them off in prayer. They're driving into, for North Carolina Baptists, they're driving into the aftermath of Hurricane Laura. I said to Don and Marie, they were, uh, Don was thrilled, Marie was nervous. I think that's how they roll. And uh, I, think, I think he's, you know, hit the road and she's like, you know, we probably should plan And so Don is thrilled. Marie's nervous. I said, Don, where are you going? He said, don't know. I said, you don't know? He said, no. They told us to hit the road. They let us know tonight on the way. We're the only two people representing North Carolina Baptist at this point. We're going, we're doing the reconnaissance work. We'll let folks know back here who we need down here, what we need. He's been sending me pictures, unbelievable destruction. Trees that have split mobile homes completely in two. People without insurance, people without hope, people in desperate trouble. 
Do you know what I love? I just stood there, looked at Don and Marie, and I thought, that's how you live. Just do what you know. Go where God sends you. He goes before you. He'll go behind you. That's maturity. Paul says, think this way. It goes back to Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this attitude. What kind of attitude? Here it is. I'll summarize it for you in two statements. Empty yourself now because you will be filled later. That's what Jesus did. Have this same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but did what? Emptied himself. Empty yourself now because you will be filled later. If we're going to have the same mind of Jesus, we need to be a bunch of emptied people. He emptied himself. And then, according to Paul in Philippians 2, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humble yourself now because you will be exalted later. Empty, filled, humbled, exalted. Don't know if it's ever occurred to you that Jesus Christ was not overtly ever exalted in the Old Testament. He was in the Old Testament concealed and in the new revealed. And even in the new, he was not exalted until he was emptied and humiliated. That's who we've gathered to worship this morning. And then I love the grace of Paul's next statement. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Like if he's saying, if, you, if you're wrong, God will show you. If your thinking's off, God will let you know about that. Let me give you uh, two verses that have become for me through the years a way to ask God to do that. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. Do you notice the contrast? This is David writing. Even in the people of God can be wicked ways. Wicked ways. We can be nasty, awful sinners. It's a good prayer. Finally, stand firm by imitating mature Christians. Brothers, join in imitating me. It means to be a follower together. Are you serious? Yeah, that's what Paul says. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. As a matter of fact, he says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul is saying your eyes need to be up, but they also need to be down. Like your eyes need to be toward heaven, but bring them down to earth, vertical and horizontal. Vertical up toward Jesus, up toward this upper call, but horizontal toward somebody else who is following him, who's imitating him. Imitate people who imitate Jesus. Chuck Swindoll in his commentary on this says, in this life we will never measure up to the God-man, but we can follow in the steps of godly men and women. 
Like we keep our eyes on Jesus knowing we'll never measure up, but we can follow in the steps of godly men and women. We look out and we see other people and we follow them. At Grace, our life group leaders, this is who we look for. We don't look for perfect people. We look for mature people. We look for mature people. I look around the room and I see you and I see you and I know your love and I know your maturity and I know that you walk in what you know. Like I see Beth Silver, she walks in what she knows. Shane and Nikki walk in what they know. Travis and Lori walk in what they know. Perfect? No. But they walk in what they know as they lead their group. That, that's what we look for. Do you live out? Are you mature? But then there are bad examples. They're out there. Paul says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, that means wailing out loud, walk as enemies of the cross. Who were these? Scholars think they were most likely itinerant preachers because Philippi was on a well-traveled road and they would come in an hour from the sea, get off the boat, head toward Philippi, and they would preach garbage. They would short-circuit the gospel. They would preach lies. Their end is destruction. Paul says their day's coming. They may be exalted now, but they will be humiliated later. Their God is their belly. What does that mean? Gluttony? Yeah, but it just means they satisfy their own desires. They're selfish, self-centered people. And they glory in their shame, in their disgrace, with minds set on earthly things. I want to say something to you this morning. If you're in this room and you're over 50, everybody in this room under and in the next service, most of them will be under 50, are begging you to walk the walk. They're looking to follow you. We don't need you, and I love you, and I'm honored that you're here. I'm honored that you're joining us online. We don't need you to be spectators if you're over 50, especially. You have something, a story to tell, a life you've lived that others want to see. I've shared before how years for years, I would sneak and ride around and listen to Swindoll. I must share the most remarkable gift I received about a week and a half ago. Somebody drove my, by my house, left a box on my front porch. I went out. I opened it up. It was his New Testament set of commentaries. I thought that's all it was until I opened up the first one, Pastor Jerry. It is a joy to send these to you. Preach grace, Chuck Swindoll. Wow, 
Wendy can tell you I, I smiled even in my sleep. <laughs> I was blown away. Somebody here, a member of our church, used to be on his staff, reached out to him and said, this preacher imitates you. And Swindoll was kind enough to take the entire set home and sign every single one of them and have his office send them back to me. Eighty-some years old. That's what God has called us to. You are to be imitatable. Probably not a word, but Alan Michael makes them up all the time. Um, that's what you are called to be. Why? Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Here it is. If you know Jesus, you have one of these. Could I say something to you this morning? I guard this especially when I travel. But the Spirit has put a guard over the door of your heart, and you'll never lose this. Amen, church? Never. And from it, we await a Savior. Do you want to see him? Do you want to put your eyes on Jesus? I, I think the scars are there. Because when Thomas saw Jesus, Jesus said, look at me. I think Jesus still has those. And pardon me, but I want to see him. I want to look at his wrists. want to see him. And since my body will be like his, I won't shrink in his presence. If Swindoll were to walk in here today, I'd pass out. <laughs> but one day when I see him, I won't. I'll look in his eyes and for the first time I will know him as I strain to know him now. And for the first time I will know me as he knows me now. Why? Paul says he will transform my lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I long to see him. I long to see him. So moved. I've doubted like Thomas. I've denied like Peter. 
but forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Kelly, will you put the words to what we sang earlier? And we'll sing it, and then you'll see a video to honor our grads. Turn your eyes. Yeah, you knew. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's beautiful. Sing it out. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Amen. We have some pretty remarkable college grads. Perfect day to honor them as they look to imitate us. And so we're going to sing a song that is our prayer for you. And you will see some pictures on the screen. And at the end, I'll pray for you and ask you to stand. Let's watch the screen.